if you're not sure what it is that you're going to do, if you're like, gosh, I don't want to do what I'm doing, and I really love the idea of doing my own thing, but I'm not sure what that would be, think about a problem that is happening in your world. Think about something that um, that doesn't exist. It would be great if it exists, because, and you would love if it existed, and but it's just not there. And solve that. Think about solving that. How might you solve that? Could that be one angle? That's the sort of creative brain work that can help you get to that place, and especially if it involves something that you love. This is a great... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right. On the top. <laughs> this is a great question on work. We ask great questions on the future of work. We interview artists, entrepreneurs, and masters in their field. This show operates on two levels. First is a tool of empowerment. We give you actionable ideas on how to gain and create new employment and improve how you currently work. We also spotlight the success of local artists and business owners by asking them great questions. What a great question. Such a great question. Yeah, that's a great question. That's a great question. Oh, what a great question. Hello, Katie here, and in this week's episode, we join Julie Kearns in her group discussion on how to run your own show. Julie runs her own show. She is the owner of Junket Tossed and Found, which is a Minneapolis vintage shop. She shares her amazing story of turning loss into an opportunity. Julie begins this discussion by talking about her story. In 2009, Julie's marriage fell apart two weeks after having her first child. With half of her family's income gone, she did not know how she would support herself and her new daughter. She became depressed. She lost a bunch of weight. She had to buy new clothes at thrift stores, and then she would sell her old clothes at consignment shops. And then she realized she was making a profit buying and selling used clothes. Fast forward three years to 2012, Julie bought a retail storefront in South Minneapolis to sell high-quality used goods. Her store has expanded to 3,000 square feet and is open daily. Here's Julie's story on how she went from a thrift shopper to a successful business owner. Here's Julie. She's great. Enjoy. So, um, anyway, I, I waited... For that marriage for four months and this is a lot of drama right I weighed I didn't know if it was good if he was actually gonna leave or not and I went through a lot of stress and I lost about 50 pounds from the time I'd given birth to the time I knew what my future looked like from a marital standpoint um, and that was my opportunity I wouldn't I would I had no idea I didn't didn't come to me as that and so as I look back on it now what I thought at the time was the worst possible thing that could have happened to me was the best possible opportunity to um, to create profound and positive change. That's the piece I want you to be thinking about as you think about your lives and what's going on too, because it's a huge, it was, I mean, it was devastating and life-changing and transformational, and um, and I would do it again in a heartbeat, which is the craziest thing. Um, so, so I lost 50 pounds, and I still had a corporate gig. I would get up in the morning and put my kid in my little baby, you know, baby wrap, and we would march downtown together because I had a downtown job and she went to daycare downtown and I needed clothes that I could actually wear to that office job and having lost 50 pounds I didn't have anything that fit and I also didn't have money for a wardrobe so I went to um, 
I took all my clothes and I went to consignment. I just dropped it off at a couple different places. Didn't think a whole lot about it, but I knew I needed to make money in order to spend money on the clothes that I was gonna get. And then how many of you are familiar with the Goodwill outlet? Okay, do we have some thrifters in the room? Oh yeah. <laughs> awesome, that's so cool. Um, so I had, I had shopped there 15, 20 years ago and, and hadn't been there in a lot of years and knew that that's, that was gonna be my answer. They sell, for those of you who aren't in the know, they sell by the pound, textiles and other things. And so um, I knew that if I needed little girls size 12 clothing, which is what I needed at that point, I could go and for 50 cents I'd pick up t-shirts and you know, pants might be a dollar. And so that's what I did. Um, and I didn't really think much of it because I was trying to get through my corporate job and trying to get through this crazy loss and trying to figure out how to raise this little little peanut who was you know amazing and, and female and as a woman who had just gone through this thing, I was also trying to figure out how do I create um, and set an example for her. What, what do I do? I'm a single mom, I've already failed this as far as I was concerned, and, um, which was, that's something that I won't get into, but that was a tough one to swallow. Um, so I didn't think much of it, um, and a couple of months passed, and, and well, I started to heal, and I started to gain a little bit more weight, and the size 12 didn't fit anymore, so I had to go back and get the little girl size 14, and so I took the size 12 to consignment, and I didn't think about it. Life, again, just continued, and I continued to try to heal and start a divorce process and all these crazy things, and then one day I went to the consignment shop, and they itemized. They're, when, you, when you've sold things, they itemize and they tell you, you know, what you've sold and how much they sold it for and how much you get for it. And I noticed that a shirt that I had picked up in the little girl size 12 days had just sold for $10. I had paid about 50 cents for that shirt and they paid me $5. And in my brain, $4.50 is not very much, but a 900% return on investment was worth pursuing. And that was my eureka moment. And that was the time when all of a sudden the light bulbs went on. I knew that I couldn't pay, you know, pay $2 for something and sell it for $4. But if I could, if I could figure this, like crack this nut on 50 cents to, to margin like that, that was something that might have the potential to allow me to be a stay-at-home mom someday. <coughs> I was very aware there was gonna be a hell of a lot of work in between, right? Because, you know, 450, you need to repeat that, you know, <laughs> Times. 100 times to get to $450, and that's not going to be anywhere near the mortgage, right? So um, so it was crazy, and it, it, I mean, it was a little crazy, but it also was, it was the, the purpose, and, and for me, the desire was to, one, save face with a failed marriage that was very public, and everyone knew we had a brand new baby, we couldn't hide from it, and I just was feeling that, and I wanted to, I, I felt pretty strongly and was compelled to demonstrate what I was made of, kind of, in a, a way. Um, but also the ability to reclaim something that I had negotiated that obviously hadn't worked out, which was to be able to be in a position where I could put my daughter first and not have a corporate job where I had to report to somebody else with my time. And, um, and so it was that combination of, hey, if I could do that and I could do that, that's worth my energy, that's worth the time, that's worth a lot of laundry and a lot of running around and dry cracked knuckles from digging through clothes and all of the things that went into getting that to a place where I had a chance to test that market. Um, I'm gonna pause for a second because I think that there's a pretty critical piece to think about when it comes to running your own show and especially when you go from working for someone else to running your own show. 
And I don't know anyone who's made that jump independently, especially not without, a, without spousal or partner income, et cetera. Um, I don't know anyone who's done that without moonlighting, not successfully. And so, so the side gig, you're gonna wanna work the side gig. And, and you're going to want it to be something that you enjoy doing well enough that you're happy to do it for 20 hours a week after coming home from your 40 hour a week job. Because if you can't imagine enjoying and getting excitement out of it, you may need to rethink the strategy. And if, um, the other piece to consider is that if you think about it and the idea of raising success makes you wonder if you're gonna have a life after that because it takes you 47 minutes to sew a skirt that you're gonna sell for $20 that, you know, it, you kinda gotta do the math both in terms of what you project and what you, um, what your time, how much time you realistically have as you're thinking about your ideas and analyzing up front. Because I've had so many ideas. Nat will tell you, I, I, what, I wanted to make uh, fortune cookie, uh, fortune cookie <coughs> pillowcases. Fortune cookie <laughs> pillowcases, which, I, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that, because I also had fortune cookie um, um, little frames for fortune cookies <laughs> in mind. But, um, so this was an idea we had, what, 10, 15, 15 20, 20, 20 years ago? And it came back around. That's the other thing I want you to think about is, is that as you have ideas and as you have dreams, just because they don't work out in this moment, doesn't mean that they won't work out later. I have had so many different things that I've thought about over the years or ideas that I've gathered <coughs> in a file over the years come back and be relevant now when they weren't relevant five years ago, three years ago. So if you've got a good idea, don't mix it because it didn't work once. Keep trying. Um, and, um, and keep failing because it's a really powerful way to learn what doesn't work so that you can get better at finding what does. Um, so anyway, so I figured out this idea. So I had, um, oh, by the way, if I talk way too fast, feel free to do this, because I am kind of a speed talker, and I want to make sure that people can understand me. Um, can we do a quick audio check? Can everybody hear? Can we, do you have a microphone, too? Are we, okay. Are you doing all right? I'm kind of a loud mouth. So, <laughs> um, and you guys are all with me so far? Okay. Um, so, so I got going on this crazy thing, and and when my daughter had visitation with her dad for four hours, I would run over to Goodwill and I would thrift through and find the Banana Republics and the and sometimes the really super good stuff. But I would find the scores and the things that initially would fit me. But then, as I got better at it and got better at testing, I started buying things that wouldn't fit me if the consignment stores didn't take them because the consignment stores don't they don't take everything. Um, and so in doing that. Um, I took on some risk. It was, it was meager risk, but the upside potential of the return made it worth taking on the risk. Um, I'm gonna pause for another moment and share that each step of the way, the decisions I've made to grow this business have been the least risky. Opening the store was the least risky because the alternative had me well outgrowing my house and, and it, there was chaos at the house and I did the math and it made sense and I went for it. Um, but so be thinking about all of these incremental steps that you can be making once you've got your idea and you're working it, and just know that each day that you make progress, that, that matters, and it makes a difference. Um, so that was that, and over the course of a couple of, you know, couple months, I, well, and you know, longer than that, I started to accrue the clothing that didn't fit me, and that didn't, um, that also didn't get taken by the consignment shop. So now I had this 
secondhand clothes that were, you know that I'd taken the time to launder, so I had some investment in it, kind of sitting in the basement. Well, as that accrued, I'm like, well, how can I move that? Um, and I found so I, I didn't want to do eBay. eBay sounds like a pain in the butt. eBay is a lot of work, and measuring clothes to type in my basement, and I like that was not of interest. And so, I decided I'd try and find someone else who knew how to do that and might do that on consignment because I had all this stuff. Um, and I got really lucky. There was a woman who lives in um, just north of Minneapolis who was doing that as a business at that point. And she was willing to take on the stuff that the consignment stores didn't want and list it on eBay for me. And as soon as I started getting checks from her, not only did I realize that there was a much more lucrative model than the consignment model I was on, but I also got off my butt and started doing eBay because I was making way more from her with the cast-offs and I was still paying her a 40% commission. And, and so, again, this was opportunity. And it was also, hey, you know what? I just got over that hurdle because of what's in it for me, right? So if you could think about, you know, just be open to, you know, hey, I would do this, but these are the circumstances that need to be right. And if you can get clear about that, it makes it really easier, easy to say no, not until, or yes, you know, now what? Um, so yeah, I grew to that. And, and then the eBay thing, you know, still, oh gosh, there was a lot of time invested in eBay. It took a lot of time to list things individually. And so I still had stuff piling up because I was doing the consignment stores and doing the leftovers. And, um, and so I decided to start doing sales in my house. And so I invited friends over. And, and rather than try and price the clothing, I just said, everything's $5. Come on over. And, you know, kept it kind of on the DL, had a little wine, which I don't do a junket because I'm pretty above board on that stuff as a, as a larger business. Um, or a larger micro business, I guess you could say, by by um, by junk shop standards. Um, and um, so the sales then kind of steamrolled. And I was making four figures, uh, you know, at a garage sale, and and doing pretty well with clothing sales in my house, and 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 that went. And yet it was also still a lot of work. Um, and side note, as that was happening, I still had my day job, and. Um, and I made some adjustments. I actually moved a couple times during that entire transition. I moved, I downsized once. I'm not saying everybody has to do this, but these are the kinds of steps I took to make this work. Um, I downsized from the condo I've been living in downtown into an apartment to get through the divorce. And then when I realized that my landlord didn't love that I was doing things there, I really couldn't. I, you know, I chose to invest in a home, and I had the means to do that. I, I had a my corporate job was it paid me well enough to to take that risk and managed to make it work. It was a little bit of a stretch, but I knew that, I also knew that, I, don't, I was already thinking about, hey, someday could I do this on, on my own? I'm going to need to have a house. I'm going to need to have enough property, you know, enough room where I can have this thing that's growing in the basement of my rental house. I need to be able to continue to grow it at this new house. So I invested in that. Um, also thinking that at some point, it was a crappy market, so at some point maybe that market will come back and I can turn that into something when I don't need three bedrooms and two baths again, because that was a little ridiculous for me and a half time half time quite honestly but um but that was part but but moving more than once has been part of part of this transition as well and really having my entire life move in the direction of where I wanted to go um, and being really clear about where I wanted to go um and for me um you know the financial stability and being able to do this without scraping is a big part of where I want to go and I would imagine that that's the case for most of you so um so um I will say this is another quick side note as a single person I actually have it fairly easy because I don't have to negotiate or worry about having a partner come on board and support this thing. And, and that, can, that can be a challenge. And quite honestly, this never would have happened if I were still married. So where, where we see the silver lining, that's a huge one for me. 
Um, so, and just, and with respect to that, talking with your partner, being able to get to a place where you're on the same page, where you see, you can, you can see the benefits for both, and where you can also, you know, have a compelling vision for what life looks like for both of you because you've made the commitment to make this happen is, is a pretty critical part to experiencing success um, with this sort of a transition. Um, it's been, at this point, it's been seven years for me. Um, and I, you know, if you don't have a partner who is seeing beyond the one year mark, and if you haven't negotiated that up front, it can create a lot of stress. Um, so anyway, so I was, I was doing Airbnb in my house. That was one of the other re reasons I'd gotten a bigger house. I knew I needed some side income and that was a good way to do it. Um, just before I started Airbnb, I found out that my company was doing layoffs. And I was like, huh. They weren't taking volunteers. And um, I was like, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll volunteer anyway. It's good to see you, by the way. Um, and I went to my boss and just was careful about it. You know, but again, this was an opportunity where it felt scary as shit, right? But, but it was also the only way I was going to, I was hoping to leave by August anyway, and it was the only way I was going to have a runway where I had time and I had a little bit of a, little bit of a landing path. And in my case, that really was, you know, had been a critical component, although I would have made it work. I, so I just went into my boss, and I'm like, I really enjoy being here. I'm not telling you I don't want to be here. Um, I can continue being happy here. But, you know, my team members are having babies and getting married and, and buying houses, and I've done all that and this other thing. And so if you want to, you know, if, if I'm in the mix and if this makes your decision easier, I can help. And it worked. And a week later, um, he and the HR person and I hugged it out in the, the, in the you know, the office with the paper over the windows and they were crying and I went I left and went thrift shopping afterwards I mean like it was like it was so like it was like awesome I guess I need inventory so um, right so so again a layoff that's some scary stuff for a lot of people it's also opportunity if you're if you're ready for it and you're looking for it and you're thinking about it um, so that was big I did not go out and open a shop for another year and a half it was not my intention to open a shop. I wasn't thinking, oh my gosh, I want to retail, you know, I want to run a retail shop and I want to be in a store for, you know, six hours, seven days a week or whatever. I just, that is not something that, that fits my personality. I like to grow things and build things and find things and the dopamine effect of thrifting is awesome. But I also don't want to be obligated to have to go find things. So it wasn't really what I was um, aiming for. And, um, but it was the least risky because I was doing Airbnb and, I had all this crap coming into my house, and every time I had guests coming, I had to like pack it into the closets and the whatever, you know, right? And so, um, and so, a friend suggested that I do a vintage sale in my house, and I was just like, you know what? That sounds like my own private hell. I, I mean, like, right? But I'll do it once. Let's do it once, and we'll see what happens. And if it works once. That's going to be my, you know, and if I can earn X, that will be my justification to find a place that's X amount of rent. I'll do one sale, you know, one sale a month. And if I can drive, you know, and I think my number was if I can drive $3,000 worth of traffic to my house in a residential neighborhood, I should be able to drive $3,000 worth of traffic to uh, a storefront in a commercial, you know, once a month for an event. So that was kind of the, the idea or the logic. Um, and so my friend, probably right after we... Um, Locked and loaded. My friend announced that she was pregnant and didn't have the energy to do this with me, but wished me luck. And um, and so, so right. So 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 for those of you who have questions about taking on partners, 
think long and hard, and we can talk about that a little bit more. But the, it's, it's hard enough with the things that you can control with your own time and energy. And, and so I like collaboration. If you can do it on your own and make it happen on your own, I, I kind of advocate for that because it gives you more creative and more flexibility. And like other marriages, because this is, you know, a, a business marriage is financially intertwined. It involves a lot of the same things. And if the communication isn't good or if people want different things, it can go downhill pretty fast. So um, anyway, so the shop opened. How am I doing for time? I don't want to totally run over. Seven o'clock. OK, so I'm pushing it. Um, I'm really pushing it. I'm sorry, you guys. Um, what's that? We do. I, I want to make sure that there's time for questions, though, too. Um, so long story short, that was the start of the shop. And it was never one weekend a month. It was two weekends a month initially, and it was two weekends a month for the first year and a half. Um, and then about a year in, my landlord approached me and let me know that the second side was coming, and I was exhausted. I was like, I was tired. I'd been doing this every, every other week for almost a year. Um, and it didn't sound like a, a really, a really, like I wanted to take on more. But I, again, started thinking about it. I'm like, you know what? If other people want to participate, that would actually give me help and I could help other businesses. And if I can get this space verbally rented by X date and my and the landlord is willing to be flexible with me in this way, I can make it, I can make it work. And so I put the feelers out and I had that thing rented before I had a key, before I before I even had legal access to, I mean like it was, it just came together like this. And we had probably two dozen vendors step in that really wanted to do that. So for the vintage vendors and wannabe would be shop owners in here, that really is a good strategy. Um, is bringing people together. It's still there's still a lot of a lot of um, expense. There's still a lot of risk. Um, I do advocate for going your own show if you can, and and having one person with the creative and ultimate responsibility. Um, and you want to make sure your relationships are really solid. Um, you want to make sure that you, if if you have anger issues, that you have figured out a way to step back from that before you say something that you wish you haven't. You know that I mean that stuff matters because every decision you make, the tiny ones like that, either get you closer to or further away from your goal, and they also can cause a lot of stress and strife if if that's the tone and tenor that's going on in a space. So anyway, we took on two dozen vendors. It went great. Um, it was crazy. We had you know fifteen thousand dollar weekends for the first couple of weekends that we were open and that I hadn't expected um, and yeah I, I don't know if you I don't know if you, you even knew that it was a little over the top and it was a lot of work and um, and it was great um, that being said it was a challenging model funding wise because I was paying consignment stuff out to so many people so over the course of time now as I've had opportunity as it's gotten more stable and as people have chosen to move on we've had one that has gone on to start her own shop we've had a few others that have gone on to work in other shops or or have you know have gone full Etsy and things like that? Um, we've filled in with our product, and our margins have increased, and our margins have increased dramatically within the last two years because that has we've been able to go from paying somebody seventy five percent to finding things at a really low, right, really low margin. My the nine hundred percent I don't stick to that like glue these days, but it needs to be a good return if you're spending time and individually pricing it and cleaning it and all those things when it comes to the vintage things. So. Um, so yeah, our, our returns are much better for our product, obviously. And so we just, it is less risky to not have rent each time we know we see the, the return on our, our you know, product investment. So, um, so today we're 3,000 square feet. We are still, um, I, I've never 
until about two months ago even managed to get um, credit for the business. It took selling my house, selling the condo I had downtown, and significantly downsizing to be eligible for that sort of thing. So another just piece, as you're thinking about going out and doing your own thing, before you quit your day job, line up the credit that you think you might need. Don't spend or plan to spend your retirement on your first year in business because you're gonna need it in year two and year three or something. When something goes awry, you're gonna wish you had that backup. So as you're planning, back to the money thing, be really careful and really conservative and think about it as the long game. And and Nat, you can laugh at me, but I like, who played the Oregon Trail? Do you guys remember playing the Oregon Trail? All right, who was green screen? Who was orange screen? It was like the black and whatever, right? Okay, so so the thing to remember about this journey is that this part of the journey is about getting to that place where things start, right? So packing and preparing and getting your things in order is part of the journey, right? And every day that you wake up and are a step toward and closer to what you're working on is part of the journey. And you gotta find a way to love the journey. So, and what that means is finding a way to be really passionate and excited about where it is that you're going. Um, so at the end of the day, if you, don't, if you don't know where that is very specifically, the journey's gonna be a mess too. So the, I, my strongest piece of advice is think really hard about, is this something I can get up every day and love doing even when it's hard? even when I'm eating toast for a week straight, even when, oh my gosh, I gotta come up with $30,000 within the next month and a half to cover this, 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 and this because I didn't plan very well or because we had road construction or because, right? I mean, like seven months of road construction certainly makes things interesting. Um, we got through that one last year. So, um, so our 3,000 three square feet um, were open daily, um, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. every single day. I have chosen when I've been faced with a decision to either back off or kick up the throttle to think about how it's perceived when I back off or kick up the throttle. What is, what is my community gonna think if I say, oh, I'm gonna close on Mondays now? They're gonna, you know, the, the impression is, oh, that must not be going so well. So, and you and I talked about this the other night, Tony, where um, do the math. It might make a lot of sense for you to bring somebody in, right? If, if you can have somebody stab your shop for $64 a day and you're gonna make $200 a day, why would you not um, by being open that day? So find ways, just be creative and think through these details. And obviously that's a retail model, but, um, but there are other ways to do that. When I was, when I was um, getting going, um, there were times when I paid for a house cleaner. I lived at my house and all the time that I might need, I was self-employed, I was scraping, but you know what? That took so much energy and time that I could be doing and that was so worth doing other things for that from time to time I made those decisions. And it wasn't frivolous and it wasn't continual, but it allowed me to invest in my business the time and energy I needed to take the next step. And so be creative about that and really think about what your time's worth because that's, that's the most limited resource that we're dealing with here. You can make more money, you can't make more time. Um, so junk is a social enterprise. Um, and how many of you are familiar with the idea of social enterprise? A few, a few hands. Okay, so social enterprise is built on the premise that not only is it possible, but it's it's imperative. Welcome. It's a, it's a, it's important and imperative to not do harm when you do business. Um, so it is. It's been profoundly wonderful to focus a business on 
being profitable while being good for people and taking care of the planet. And I think it's actually when you're good to people, you're good to your employees, you're good to your customers, you you treat them with respect, you have boundaries, you don't spam them, you right? You 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 treat them <coughs> as though they belong and are welcome and wanted and appreciated and valued as humans instead of as numbers. Um, that helps a lot and it has been really strong for our business. Um, one of the things that we have taken um, taken on as we are preparing to grow, um, I, I do plan to have this entity continue to grow for as long as it can be helpful and that was an early decision. Um, we are, in order to continue to grow and, and continue to attract the sort of um, people and potentially investors and understanding about what we're doing um, and also to create change, we have launched a carbon impact study, which is a little bit crazy because we don't really know if anyone else is doing that, but we're weighing pro customers' product at the shop as they come through so that we can report on and, and educate our, our customers and our community about um, about how many trees are being saved because reuse is the chosen option, as opposed to buying new, which means that somebody in China is digging up this to get to this other thing to what have you. So it's ups, upstream and downstream effects, and our decision is to be part of the solution. Um, and, and my goal through this is to encourage others, especially if you're vintage vendors, to be part of a solution um, in that way because there's a huge opportunity and a huge need for access to quality things because so much of what's on the new market right now is not necessarily high quality. Um, I had, I had, I was going to go somewhere with that and I completely spaced it. So I'll come back to that later. Um, but I think, oh, no, I do know where it was. So basically, in my case, I found, I found a need. I found an opportunity to solve a problem. And that was my, that was, and, and that was a mission that became that excitement for me about making this thing happen. So if you're not sure what it is that you're going to do, if you're like, gosh, I don't want to do what I'm doing, and I really love the idea of doing my own thing, but I'm not sure what that would be, think about a problem that is happening in your world. Think about something that um, that doesn't exist. It would be great if it exists, because, and you would love if it existed, and but it's just not there. And solve that. Think about solving that. How might you solve that? Could that be one angle? That's the sort of creative brain work that can help you get to that place, and especially if it involves something that you love, right? Um, but solving a problem and feeling like you're contributing is one of those powerful things that you can do on this planet, and and I've found that um, that it gives back in more ways than just giving back, right? Um, so I'm working on developing a supply chain for reuse. That's my vision. I want to be able to have people as easily and creatively um, or easily access good stuff like you might expect to access stuff at Target. You can expect to go and get that thing. That just doesn't exist right now, right? Um, and so that's my vision and that's what I want to create um, because that's a problem. And it's a global problem and it's a problem for our planet. And that's what wakes me up in the morning and keeps me plugging away when, oh God, I'd rather just sleep in, right? Um, <coughs> And also when I when I face some of the scary parts of this, when we have had financial challenges, when you know when we had seven months of road construction and um, you know and business tanked, and I did dig into my retirement five years into my business, but it wasn't until then that I did. So that I mean, just from a planning and need standpoint, um, I'm open to multiple locations. I'm that's kind of where my business is going, um, and I'm excited about 
the opportunity to advocate, support, and encourage a growing community of people engaged in reuse. There's a huge opportunity to do this and do this well. Um, our environment, our planet, is this is I mean this is necessary stuff, and we're going to need to do more of it to continue to um, to to live on a somewhat livable planet. I'm I'm that passionate about this, and I don't know that everybody necessarily is, but that's where our carbon impact study comes in is to be able to put numbers to that. So, so that's the where I've been and where I'm going. Um, I would I would be happy to take questions. Um, and so we'll leave it at that. Does anybody have anything that... Oh, I see a hand. Okay. Can you talk about marketing strategies a bit, kind of how you've navigated marketing from print to social? Yes. Absolutely. Um, social's been incredibly powerful. Um, starting early has been helpful. So, um, so if you guys were to go back to the early page, you know, the early days of Junket's Facebook page, it started in 2011, which is about a year before we opened the shop, and it looks nothing like what we're doing now. But we were there, and there's a history there. And so, what I've loved about that is having been there. We had history by the time we opened the shop, and we already had momentum. We were already talking to our friends about what we were doing. You know, I, when I first started talking, I mean, it was probably my mom and my cat that were seeing it, right? Um, but it for, for some reason, that, that I knew that that mattered. And so part of it is just start, right? Just start, you know, start reaching out. Use those free resources. Um, if you're not savvy, figure it out. Um, to use one of Natalie's um, analogies, it is like taking on a pet when you commit to a new social media channel with a business. So you gotta be ready to commit to it and stick to it. Um, but it's, it's good. And, and leveraging your existing relationships and being helpful. One of my biggest strategy pieces has been, how, how do I help? How do I talk about things in a way that's helpful that allows people to be helped? Um, and that has served me well on, on all of my channels. Um, I have. I generally don't do print advertising because I don't want to contribute more stuff to the landfill. Um, it's also been a really easy way to just say no to print because I don't love the return in print. I haven't seen enough to make it worthwhile. That's my experience. Um, I know some people that get really good results, but that's not me. And, and so I love just being able to say, hey, you know what, my decision's in alignment with my values. Um, and, we, and then we actually, like, with a lot of the things that we do print personally, I'm doing it on secondhand paper. If I can't do secondhand, I'm going 100% recycled and really looking to source in ways that align with my values and the things that are important to me because that also feels really good. Um, I have invested pretty heavily in Facebook um, because I did well with it early on. We generated a healthy, um, generated a really healthy following organically. And because it was working, and because we were having fun with it, and because it had done what it had done, I decided to, to throw some dollars at it. I started small. And when I started, you could actually advertise to a zip code. And so I advertised to 55406. And it was really good for event marketing. So anyone who's involved in occasional, because again, because we've got a lot of interest people in here, if you're involved in occasionals, it's a great way to, great way to bring people in for events because you can throw funds at getting a very specific thing in front of people for a very specific time, like this, and we paid to get this out, and, and holy Hannah, again, I'm still just like 
it was Facebook, right? So um, Instagram for visuals are really good. Figuring out ways to have some of your content do double duty while understanding that each platform is different and serves different purposes. Um, it's still great to be able to take something on face or on Instagram and have it feed to Facebook. I don't do it automatically all the time because there are some that aren't a good fit, but it's really nice to get a couple of hits. And it also, with that sort of thing, especially as you're getting up and running, it helps to create that history without having to go and, and kind of knock yourself dead in you know, 37 different channels. You know, pick the ones that work for you, <coughs> test them, but figure out what really, what, what's reaching your audience um, and what fits with your voice, and then, and then go at it. And, and you know, we, at this point with Facebook, we have multiple pieces a day. I, one of my team members uses um, a social media app called Hootsuite. You guys familiar with Hootsuite? Mm -hmm. Okay, um, to, to pre-program, you know, every day starts with a donut photo or an open photo. We have a contest on Tuesdays. We throw one of our quotes on the wall on Thursdays. We've got that. And then I smatter other stuff. My, like the, the of the moment, here's what I'm thinking, guys. What do you think? I, that stuff goes in organically, and the Instagram stuff feeds through that as well. Um, does that, does that help get you there? Yeah. <coughs> So, so of my age, so I've, I've done this, and yep. my son is 25, which is fabulous, and I can yes. do this, and it's just been phenomenal. But I feel like, you know, am I doing something wrong? Where is this going? I just don't, I don't, I'm not that age that understands the whole Facebook thing. Mm -hmm. And so I think I've been doing okay, but are there resources out there that I can tap into other than my 25-year-old son that's his mom? You I'm know, kind of busy with my day job. That, you know what, that's... Um, that's a great question. I, I just figured it out on my own and, and that was kind of the approach I took. You know, there are, you can get, you know, I mean, interns, you know, college interns, things like that. It, you know, you can, you can solicit that sort of experience for help. You can um, find YouTube videos. YouTube videos, thank you, that's great. Yeah, who else, anyone else have any good ideas? There's some community ed classes. Yep. Here in mm -hmm. Minneapolis. Bloomington for sure has one. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
um, different yard signs at key corners. I was strategic about that. I made sure that the letters were really big so people could see them driving by. I used a good font. I, you know, I was careful about that. There's a lot of that that you can do on your own these days. Um, I did a lot of taping to corrugated board and running around. Um, and, and quite honestly, the district didn't really exist when I got started. There was, uh, there was one, well, there were, there were, there was one shop that was open on weekends. There was one shop that was open two weekends a month. And then this and that was a used paint shop. And it was there. And there wasn't anything else. Um, and I think that was, that's perhaps the biggest lesson that I learned is that collaboration is powerful. And if you approach this as an opportunity to make friends and to do good stuff together and look for ways to bring like-minded people together, um, that's a whole lot more fun than competition. And you can also create change really fast because it's pretty amazing what has happened in the last three years on Minnehaha. Um, and Jackie. I don't have a question, but just to kind of comment on the last question. Because um, I met you, I don't know how many years ago, it was right when your shop opened. Yep. And there was not a district here. Yeah. You really were fundamental in creating that and reaching out to other shop owners and saying, hey, it looks like this could, you know, let's do this together. And yeah. That's and that, I mean, that's how my brain works. Mm -hmm. And that's, oh. Did you pick this location specifically? Or did it sort of? I chose this location because I have zero tolerance for traffic. <laughs> I, I live four blocks away, right? And I, um, I knew that my time was already really, really tight. And so I basically, when I had that thing at my house, I'm like, okay, so here's the deal. If I make this, I will go looking for a place that's less than this amount of money that's within this radius. And if it works, I'll do it. And quite honestly, I was open a month and a half later. It, yeah, and then we did five, <coughs> five sales between Thanksgiving and Christmas that year. So, yeah. Could you talk about your journey of bringing on employees? Absolutely. Oh, gosh. Poor Alex. I say that more times. So, I, so I've had some really, I, I see you laughing. I, we, oh, I know. We've got, one, we've got an employee in the room. Um, which is pretty awesome. Karen works for us. She's been with us for um, two years plus, about two years. Yeah, so, um, and I, I got to be honest, and this is a little bit crazy, but I found my employees through Craigslist. Um, and I actually haven't announced my shop name in those listings, but I've been really careful to identify. And, the, and initially, this is, I mean, like, initially, actually, initially I did use Craigslist. I needed help moving my crap from my garage <coughs> to the new shop. And I reached out on Craigslist looking for a mover. And bonus points if you've got a van, because that's where my life was. I'm like, if I, if I don't have to pay $60 for a van and somebody's willing to help me move and they have a van, that's what I'm going to hire. Well, this guy, right, right. Don't, no laughing. <laughs> so, um, and so, so, yeah, like 12 people responded. And, and one of the guys that responded not only had a van, but he had a roommate. And, and I was like, extra bonus points. Total bonus points. I'm like, this is good. I can do this. And, and then on top of that, after verifying that he actually, like, he was who he said he was, he, he goes by his middle name, and I was really confused and concerned about that because, you know, people on Facebook are on Craigslist. Um, and so, so Alex, you know, it, it follows up with a, hey, you know, I know you said you need us on Tuesday, but we're available tomorrow. Could you use help tomorrow? And I said, I don't know. Do you, um, do you have any construction skills? And he's like, yeah, I was a project manager for construction, you know, house construction in my last life. And I'm like, great. So he came in on Monday, a day earlier than I needed him, 
And he brought his roommate along, and his roommate and I moved stuff while I had Alex installing the, the cedar fence that's in the, the front room with all the, the, um, the sewing stuff. Yeah, so he did that. And, and they were great. And you know what? I still needed help, and so I invited them to come back the next day. And then the day after that. And they wound up helping me for about two weeks until I got the store open. And at that point, his roommate had, I think, gotten like a, a Domino's pizza you know, manager job and was, was on his way. But Alex was still kind of figuring things out. And he was new to town. I mean, he didn't even know when he offered to help that this was going down within four blocks of his house. So we're neighbors. We just didn't know it. Um, and so, he, yeah, he... Um, he was awesome, and he'd done such great work. And I'm like, I need to figure out a way to keep him around. And, and now that I've got the store crap, i got a lot of work to do. And I still need to do eBay if I'm going to make ends meet. So, Alex, do you know how to do eBay? Nope, but I'll learn. Do you know anything about women's fashion? Nope, but I'll learn. <laughs> and I, he gets a huge amount of credit, huge amount of credit for having stuck with me and, and seen what I was trying to create and trusted me to honor the commitments that I made to him when I was paying him $3 an hour piecework, or $3 a job, a listing piecework. Because he did that for six months. He did, actually did that for six months, and then worked kind of on contract until I could bring him on as an actual employee. One of the things that I don't think people tell you when you're starting on the entrepreneurial path is that if you were to follow everything that you're supposed to do to the letter of the law, you might never manage to pull the trigger, right? That's a little scary to sit here in front of a camera and say, I broke the law. But I broke the law by hosting people via Airbnb in my house when our city isn't set up to, you know, for hotels in residential areas, right? So it was, you know, I had the right intentions as I was going about these things, right? And I also knew that as I became aware and understood what the needs were, I would adapt to those. And so employment's a good example of that. I wasn't I wasn't playing by the letter of the law initially, but you get to a certain size and then you step up. And in the meantime, I was taking really good care of my people and really good care of him in other ways. And he got the flexibility he needed. It was a, a, a safe working space. It was consistent. Um, and, you know, and he's been with, with me for three and a half years now, and he's my shop manager, and he's awesome. And so, and as and then I've taken people on gradually on a part-time basis since then to kind of. I see hands. Yeah. Well, first, thanks for being so vulnerable. So um, it seems like you have a really good grasp of priorities. Can you just tell us what you said no to in the beginning? Um, you know, I, I would think, and this is me being judgmental, I don't have a child, but that you would struggle in thinking, I want to spend all the time that I can with my child. Yep. Like, in, yep. in, in the moment and not thinking. It seems like, to me, you thought about your future and you were willing to give up time right now to have a way better future five, 10 years down the line and, 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 and have her look up to you rather than want to spend four, six, eight hours you know, playing with her yep. all day. Yep, and I'm so glad that you said that because that was a struggle. And, um, and, I, and, it, and part of it was a gamble. Now, I, what I had going for me is that after that first year, we changed pretty quickly to a 50-50 schedule. And so I piled my work into the time when she was at her dad's so that I could spend time with her. But I, my brain was in other places sometimes. And I also knew that in the short term, I might not have the experiences I wanted with her, and I might be distracted. But by the time she was old enough to remember, and the time she was old enough to participate actively as a member in our little family in a way that, that 
would would be something that she called back, that it was going to be really different. And my goal was was to get to the place where things were self-sufficient by the time she got to kindergarten and that I would be able to bring her to kindergarten and back and that I could be available for, you know, for surprise lunches at school. And um, and those those years were a gamble. It, it, it felt scary. And I there were things I would have loved to have done with her that I chose not to. Um, but sitting here now, it was so worth it. It was so worth it. And she's happy and she's well adjusted and she sells stuff at the shop you guys look around for mmk it's probably overpriced because she's, she's she's going for it she you know she wants she wants she wants candy and toys and stuff so but it's been so neat to be able to give her that even though i couldn't give her other things and it's about trade-offs right and also the long game it's hugely about the long game and really knowing what you want and being willing to work to make it happen so thank you okay Perfect. Garage sales were easy. That was low rent. That was, you know, it was a garage sale. I just advertised it well, and you know, and I had I started maintaining an email list from my first in-home sale, from the first one. I, I, you know, I, and that was, do you want to sign up for my email list? Permission based. I do not email to people that have not asked to be involved, and that's really important to me. From a just when you think about how much crap you get, it's better to be trusted and appreciated and and asked to engage rather than to decide that you're going to hammer it over people's heads. So, but um, I only ever did one vintage sale in my house because that was the one that I knew was going to kill me if I had to do it over and over and over again. Um, but um, yeah, initially it was I, I, every sub, you know, about once a month, which was again rule breaking in Minneapolis, by the way. Um, I, I did these, um, but that comes back to the being a good, uh, being having good relationships because. I maintained, I don't know, how did I do? Did I maintain healthy relationships, Jan? Did I do okay? <laughs> so she lived across the alley from me. Um, your, your relationships are gold. Taking care of your, you know, if, if, if you're the annoying neighbor, you're not going to be able to, like, if you don't have good relationships with those around you, the chance that you'll get to stretch those limits a little bit are pretty slim. But you value, maintain your relationships, caretake, you know, in, you know, in terms of what other people's needs are and... That, I mean, that was another big piece of it, pulling it off in home. Does that help or kind of get at it? Yeah, do you know the limitation of like, really varies though between cities how many sales you're allowed to have, how frequently? Because I know some small towns. It does. I think at a call, contact your city and they may direct you to a county. It's probably on Google. It's, it, it does vary some. So I saw a hand there and then I saw one back there. Okay. Um, I was just going to ask, I, I really liked what you said about the partnership thing because I've always thought, would it be twice as easy to do it with a partner? Um, so I've always debated if I wanted to bring a partner into my business. So if you have something more to talk about in terms of that. But also, I think that we all come into these, you know, things with like, we're good at one thing, but then we find out as entrepreneurs, we have to be good at like 17 million things. And so I always struggle with, when do I decide Hey, instead of just printing this myself, I'm going to hire a printer. Instead of taking photos myself, I'm going to hire a photographer. Hey, I'm going to do my own taxes or hire an accountant. Like, how have you, like, I'm sure that the things have come up where you're like, well, I could either do this landscaping or I could hire somebody to do this. So when do you decide when you're going to be the DIY queen or yeah. do it, yeah. your, you know, That's spend the time to 
learn yourself, and then you do a crappy job. Yep, to no, totally. Well, and part of it is finding out that your your expectations for yourself and expectations for other people aren't always, you know, like what what someone else would produce for you. Sure. It may be different, so you got to make sure that you're willing to do the work to find someone who has the same look, feel, expectations, you know, same quality, etc. Um, I think, I think the best. For me, the best decision make the best decision point was: Am I am I enjoying this, or is it dragging me down? Right? Lean into your energy. What do you have energy for? And do that stuff and enjoy it, and let that be the creative outlet. And if it's something that gives you so little energy to do it, or makes you dread doing it, and or it's getting behind because you're not doing it, and it threatens to become a hurdle for your business, find somebody to do it. I bringing on, you know. Basically, contracting with a bookkeeper is one of the best decisions I've ever made. One of the, you want someone good. I've had some not great ones. If, if you've got somebody who can do QuickBooks, get you up on QuickBooks, and and ha handle it automatically, I pay somebody about forty bucks a month for seven or eight hours a month, and she's handling not only my books for a for this business is open every day and has monthly lots of stuff, and we're paying out you know probably forty to fifty checks a month. Um. <coughs> It's it's like that. I'm not having to do it is amazing, and it's it's been the best the best decision I could have made. But the QuickBooks piece of it is is really crucial that, because otherwise, if they're manually going through your receipts and typing it in, that's a time suck in a big way, and that gets expensive fast, even if they're half the rate. So, um, Julie, did you make four dollars an hour? She yeah she, yeah. Did I, what did I say? A month? Oh well, you know, slightly. Um, I got connections. Thank you, Christy. Forty an hour, six to eight hours. You know, it, we, there was an initial setup fee, but but the, you're the best. Thank you. So this is that's another college buddy, by the way. Um, what's what's that? I didn't want your bookkeeper to Yeah, yeah. No, but and yet even at, but what's that? We all want her name. Yeah, you do. And actually, um, yep, it's Christina at marvelbookkeeping.com, so M-A-R-V-E-L bookkeeping.com. And I hope she's okay with the fact that I just did that, but she's awesome. Do you have a specific audience that you shop for and market to, and does that audience change over time? And is there like one item when you're out thrifting where you're like, this is a seller, like you know for sure like that item's gonna sell? I love that. Um, yes, lots of times over. <laughs> we, so our, our market is like, I mean, we've got people from like you know four years old excited about the free toy box, you know, and puppies with the dog treats, up to to senior citizens who are being brought in by family and friends for memory care related things because of the memories that come back. So we've got so we we are no, I think we're pretty well known for being just a great place for everybody. But when we focus and we do focus, it's on supporting creatives, artists, DIYers, homesteaders makers, right? So people who are engaging their creative brain um, and probably don't have, and probably have day jobs, right? Or don't have the time or know that it's not worth their time to try and find that very specific thing and spend a whole weekend looking for it and still not come up with it, right? So that's the direction we've gone. We've, you know, For those of you who haven't been in there, it's 3,000 square feet, a basement and two storefronts, and it's packed solid of collections of little miscellaneous things. We sell some furniture, but we don't sell a ton of it. It's almost entirely handfuls of treasures that are going out the door. Um, but we want to support, if you're cooking in the kitchen, 
we, you know, I like to carry hand tools that don't, you know, usually don't involve a bunch of electricity. Ditto in the basement. We've got hand tools for, um, for woodworking and things like that. And I, we do have some with cords, but I like to allow for things that that enable people to really get into the into the creative process with their work. So that's the direction that I'm going. As far as out thrifting, I don't get out thrifting very often. Quite honestly, it's we've gotten to the point where so much of it comes to us, and we have made a commitment to honoring um, honoring things when they get to us. That we'll find a way to add them to a collection. If they don't belong in our shop, if it's plastic, it usually doesn't belong in our shop. We'll get those to a store that will sell that. Um, but otherwise, it, 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 we've kind of got a place for a lot of things. Um, that being said, I am working on building out assortment because the the Target convenience idea can't happen without it. So our inventory is we've got you know we're using Square. Who's using Square? You guys familiar? Okay, so you know it. Uh, we're using it in a pretty advanced way. I started with Square four years ago um, with that first sale, um, but um, we use we use the categories, we use the items, and then we use variations and. We've got about 2,500 variations right now, each identifying different products, and we're starting to categorize and inventory that, so that, and then notify us at, at points so that I can go out and literally deliberately source very specific things with a list. Um, when I talk about the supply chain idea earlier, about wanting to be able to do that on a grander scale, I'd like to be the place where you can wholesale, um, where, where we can let the um, estate sale folks and the senior move managers know that we're paying you know, 50 cents for these things this week, and we're looking for these things, and really to develop an inflow of the things that we know sell well and are in demand. Um, that's a couple years down the road, but that's the direction that we're heading with with strategy. And yes, there are things that sell well right now. Glass juicers we could sell all day long. Um, the you know the lemon and lime, what right? I mean, um, and it really it the trends change, and yet a lot of them stay the same. Um, and you know, really sweet vintage jewelry does well. And you know, I make a point to have sterling silver necklaces, just the simple chains, because they sell well. And our jewelry does beautifully. And so that I actually source in bulk, used. Um, and again, keeping my time as a resource as an asset, it makes time to make bulk acquisitions. Um, and actually, I'm going to step back a little bit because when I first began acquiring, after I was done at Goodwill, or not done, but to, when I expanded from Goodwill and was doing more vintage stuff instead of just the clothes, church rummage sales on bag day were huge. Not just because you could get a bag full of treasures for $2, $3, but also because you could get a bag full of treasures in 25 minutes for $2 to $3. So it was cost effective and time effective. And so thinking in that way about... You know, that, that's one of those things where time efficiency is also going to pay out as you're searching. And that's also one of the reasons I don't go out that often. Um, we're bringing it in in other ways. I hope that helps. Yeah, thank you. Yep. Talk about time. How much time do you spend working now? That's a great question. Because um, there were times when I was spending 90 and 100 hours in the past. That's been part of this. And, and balance is, is a challenge through some of this process. Um, now, I'm kind of mm -hmm. always on in some way, shape, or form. Um, I try to turn my phone off completely for 24 to 36 hours, about once a month, and just check out, because I finally can. There were a lot of years where that just couldn't happen. Um, and right now, I'm working one sales shift on the floor, and my team is covering the rest, and then I've got one contract person that's coming in once a week where she and I are working together to get very specific projects done. Um, 
I don't know. I don't know if Natalie mentioned that we're hiring. Um, we we lost. Um, we're losing somebody, and and the reason that that matters within the context of your question is that I will pick up five nights a week until we bring in starting at the end of this month, and that's so it really ebbs and flows, um, and it's worth it, and it'll give me a chance to get my you know get it, like finger on the pulse of the business a little more again because sometimes it kind of feels like it because I'm not there every day, kind of stretches out, but my work is much different now. It's not, you know, it's not retail, it's, sometimes it's downstairs processing through the donations and just helping to get that stuff done because it comes in in high volume almost every day. Um, but a lot of it's strategy and networking and having conversations and exploring new ideas and thinking about how we can have more impact. And, um, and that happens, you know, and, and I wake up thinking about this stuff because I love it, right? And so, I mean, if I had to put an hour on it, I don't know if I could, but it just kind of bleeds in and, and when I need a break, I take it. Um, we are still doing eBay on a very limited basis, um, and it's only as we, we shut down the clothing piece of it last year. Um, it worked great as a sole proprietor. As a, um, it was a little, it was time intensive, right? It wasn't a good use of time to pay somebody else to do it. Put it that way, for clothing. But for the things that are coming into our shop, where we're finding something that's worth ninety or hundred bucks and it's got or it's got a really limited audience. That is a good way to do it. Um, and so that for, you know, so funky old vintage speakers sometimes or weird science stuff, if, it's, if we think that, it, you know, we do our research. And so the research that we do on eBay is we look at the sold prices. Everybody knows that or not? Yeah. So, um, and just if, if, it's, if they're selling well or if, or if there's nothing like it and we think it would sell well, we'll usually list those. But it's really we're doing a couple, couple listings a week right now just to keep it moving. I had to be profitable from the get-go. I was I was coming from a deficit, and so we lost money this past year with the road construction. We have had a couple of years where otherwise, you know, it's been tight. But I've been I've been paying myself um, for the you know pretty much since the shop opened out of necessity, and so and I and I couldn't really make it happen until I could, and that's a big and that is a big message too is and and that's where. Again, those interested in the vintage business is a pretty low cost of entry um, in terms of you don't need a four-year or an eight-year degree to do it. You don't need $250,000 to franchise. You know, you can start it out of your house. You can do it, you know, when somebody's sleeping slash whatever. It's just so flexible and it fits into a whole life pretty well until you decide to scale. Um, but I, 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 I only started it because I needed to make money. So, yeah. Questions? Can you um, say a little bit more about, you said you get donations, mm -hmm. people just come like, here's all my crap, figure out what to do with it? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, yep, here's all my, yeah, and so, and that's an interesting, that's actually a really interesting question and a, and a fun one to, to be able to talk about a little bit because that's a huge educational opportunity, right? Think about what we, as, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not very good, can you, can you say a little, so basically, <laughs> donations, do we just get donations, people just drop stuff off and, and say, here, deal with it? Um, yes, and, and almost every day. Um, it wasn't that way when we started, um, and it, um, it's part of our business model. Um, but if you think about what we've been encouraged to do societally, it is, hey, feel great about helping people. Go give your stuff to Goodwill, Savers, whatever, and go buy more, right? And that has 
that's part of the problem. And if you go to Goodwill of Savers and spend time there, you'll see you see a lot of really cheap product. It's you know like you have to wade through it for the good stuff, and that's fine, right? But um, it's it's perpetuated a behavior that isn't sustainable and that actually costs us a lot of freedom because we buy so much um, and not buying very much and really not buying anything new is one of the ways that I've made this work, you know, and why vintage also is that such a good strategy because. I dress myself for free because I'll turn around and sell this later. Um, so think about these things. I mean, it, it makes sense. Um, but um, we're trying to help people think differently about about the value of their used stuff, <coughs> and also helping people think about about their stuff, even if you inherited it, as kind of a stewardship piece of things. Right? We're responsible for our stuff, um, and so when people come in and are like, "Hey, will you buy? Will you buy my stuff?" Um, there's there's a lot of misunderstanding about the value of stuff in this market, and there's a lot of we all have connection and attachment and energy around these things that are ours, and as long as they're ours, they're worth more inherently, scientifically they're worth more to us than they're going to be worth to anyone else because they're ours. There's been studies done about that, um, and so pretty early on, after a couple of attempts to like buy things from people, but like feeling really uncomfortable about about not wanting to undercut and wanting them to feel good and realizing that I was going to be playing in this space of separating people from stuff they were attached to if they wanted money, I decided not to buy things from people that approached me. Um, I, don't, I don't negotiate. I don't, I don't, when people come in looking for, to sell things or to consign things, I help them find other resources that might be interested in buying. Okay? Um, but I have been really deliberate in saying our goal again, environmentally sustainable, is to help keep things out of the trash. And so you go make as much money as you possibly can with these resources and anything that you come up with. And at the end of the day, when you're done, and what is left is stuff that you're either going to throw away or put out by the curb, and you're going to feel guilty about it, we'll take care of it then. And we'll take responsibility for it. And you know that you've been a good steward, and we will get it to someone who can use it and appreciate it. Um, we'll do our best to do that. Um, and especially when it comes to broken books and broken jewelry and the things that creatives engage and use and make and love and want. Um, because that isn't going to go anywhere at Goodwill so, or another donation center. So that's, what, that's kind of been our angle. And then we try to educate, you know, if somebody asks before they bring a bunch of stuff in, we encourage them to take a walk through the store and see what we're about and do what they can to donate helpfully. All right. Every once in a while, we get a real humdinger, but you know, I mean, and, I, and I've, I've had to send one person away after we got a load that included a bunch of old undies that was just like, you know, I don't think we're understanding what this is about here. So, but, but yes, people drop stuff off, and there's we've got ten thousand people a day turning sixty-five in this country. Every day, that's going to happen through twenty twenty-nine. That's a long time, and. Um, and they're downsizing in equal numbers. And you know, and they are no longer the largest generation. The millennials have overtaken them. And the millennials really like vintage, authentic, handmade, one-of-a-kind stuff. And so there's a really unique market emerging as too much stuff is getting thrown away or gets rescued and made available to people who really value it and environmentally really value it. So it's a huge market opportunity and one that, again, I encourage, if that's the area that you're thinking about, I encourage you to you know, look more into it. So. Do you just start kind of advertising on environmentally friendly donations or like find someone on Craigslist? I don't ask for them. 
I don't I don't solicit I don't anything it, it comes to us people have become familiar with our mission have come, become familiar with our work have become familiar with our shop and when you know and it's just an awareness thing so when you know and, and we're pretty and we're pretty clear about our you know the fact that we are socially oriented and wanting to help and so people feel good being able to help in that way and so like six months from now you may be in a situation where a great aunt has X and you're you're left with this <coughs> burden and and one of the pieces about that burden, and, and again, why I'm not needing to ask for it or solicit it, is that a lot of people and a lot of our parents and grandparents have watched a lot of shows about antique field showing and storage wars and, and pickers and how these treasures are worth so much, right? Right? Everybody thinks their stuff is worth a ton. Right? I think my stuff's worth a ton. None of it's staged. No, no, no. no. <laughs> and um, and so so you get people who think their stuff is, is worth you know it's already you've already you're already attached to it because it's yours so it's already got value, and then you think it's got more value because you know like everything's got it's worth so much or maybe you know you're like you know your best friend you know Shirley is saying you better keep that because it's worth something because that happens sometimes too, um, and then an emergency happens and you know grandma ends up in the nursing home or God forbid. She's not around anymore, and a family member or extended family is left figuring this thing out. And what Grandma thought was worth so much, no one's interested in it. And unless you've got $10,000 worth of value in a house that <coughs> things are pretty easy to deal with, most um, estate sales aren't going to touch it. Because there are 10,000 people a day turning 65 in this country, and they've got better tickets. I mean, that, that's, that's the reality of the business right now um, from that front. And so so then what? Well, maybe, maybe a shop will owner will come in and buy it and clean out my house for me. No. Um, you know, and that's a bummer. Oh, gosh. Well, maybe we'll just, you know, see if somebody can come and take it for free. No. Um, it's a, it's a you know, a four to five figure clean out fee for somebody to come and take that stuff and deal with that problem for these family members. And so family members are finding themselves having to do a lot of this work themselves. And they're not in the business of figuring out where stuff goes or belongs. They have not taken the time to understand this stuff. That's what that's what my job is, or your job is, or what have you. It's an incredible amount of work. And on top of that, especially when the family member is still around, there's a lot of um, regret. Oh, I feel so stupid. I thought this was going to be worth this, and now I'm finding out that not only that, but it's going to cost my family, and it's stressful. And it's, I mean, like the the emotional there's 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 more energy going on with this thing, right? And the emotional the emotional piece of this is is profound. And so if we can be in a place where we're there to help and willing to take it when they need to get it off of their, you know, out of their lives, and it, it feels better to them to know that something that was special to grandma continues to live on instead of going in the trash, that's pretty powerful. And that's, and that has, that's really hit a very, an important nerve within our community and beyond. So, and it's been, it's been a really neat way to draw a line in the sand and really encourage the people that are connected to their stuff to continue to be good stewards. So, questions? Yeah? Okay, cool. <coughs> Perfect. Um, the thrifting business is super competitive. I'm not in that business myself, mm -hmm. but I'm curious, based on your experience, um, clearly you've branded your company, branded your shop. Did you have help doing that, or and like how how much would you say that branding has really affected how many people are loyal to your shop? Hmm. Because you know you're not just the average thrift store or anything like yeah. that. Well, 
I think I think branding goes a lot deeper than just a logo or a name or you know or or an assortment even. It's 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 bigger than that, and it's about you know how do how do we show up in the world? How do I show up in the world? And how do I want that to be a reflection? So it's not, it, so I want to make sure that as we talk about branding, it's bigger than just a logo, right? Or just a name. That being said, Nat, were you in the email chain way back when? Yeah, I thought so. So I when I I decided to name my business about a year and a half before the shop opened. And I knew that I wanted a brand that was gonna that was gonna have legs when the time came because I had gotten a fortune cookie. This is a little bit of a sidebar. I'd gotten a fortune cookie three months into my four month stint of waiting for my, my the marriage thing to get figured out. And the fortune cookie said the best revenge is massive success. And that that lodged pretty hardcore. And that fed me for say it one more time. Oh, the best revenge is massive success. Okay. I am no longer fed by revenge, but in those early days, man, was that helpful, right? <laughs> and so I was gonna, I was, I was continuing to prepare for massive success. Is because, that the quote that you used on that pillowcase you showed earlier? Uh, no, it wasn't. That one was the best things in life make you sweaty, I think. But although it might have been, I don't know, was it? No, it was sweaty. It was sweaty. Yeah, the best things in life make you sweaty. Make you wake up sweaty or something. Make you sweaty. Yeah, but we thought it belonged on a pillowcase. Yeah, and on like running shirts Absolutely. and stuff like that. So, um, so uh, where are we going with this? Branding. Branding. Thank you. So yeah, so I was, so I was, I reached out to my girlfriends and I'm like, okay, I need to figure this thing out because I got, you know, like I'm selling this stuff and I need to, you know, and and if I were to do a, you know, a store or business name, I'm, you know, and I think I was thinking about being a vendor somewhere. I need a brand. And we they helped me generate some ideas. And and then ultimately I disagreed with some of the feedback I got. Decided to go for it. Made the decision on my own based on uh, kind of a cup. I, I took a couple different pieces, one from them and one that had been in my brain, and put it together. And then and I I do have the benefit of having some graphic design background. Total hack. Never went to school for it, but did some like ad production work and knew that. Um, at that time, I think it mattered, but I think now there are so many apps available that if you've got an eye, you can make it work. Um, but I also put a, there was a I wanted my I wanted my brand to have meaning. And and the word junket had nothing to do with junk for me. It was in there, right? Um, but the meaning of junket, one meaning of junket is a festive social occasion. And I was hosting events. And so that's how that, that piece of it came up and, and why I landed on junket as that name. Tossed and found was the, the piece that there are, there are tossed and found entities elsewhere. Um, I couldn't just pick that up and run with it, but I really liked that it was transparent about where my stuff was coming from. Because from an environmental standpoint, there is a ridiculous amount of shame about shopping for used goods, right? It's, you know, I mean, I think that's changed a lot in the last three years or so as vintage has become the rage, but historically, that was low class. That was not something that you did if you could afford not to. And so I, and, and a lot of, a lot of the shops, Antique shops, et cetera, that are going in these same places are representing their stuff as, you know, so so this way. So you know, it's a very special piece, and it's this. I'm like, you know what? It's coming from the trash. Let's 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 have a conversation about that. So that's how I landed on the brand. Um, I I had some good exposure, and 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 now the segue is think about the different employment experiences you've had and how the different aspects of that work can add in. Um, and, and added to what it is that you wind up doing. I worked for um, the Geek Squad um, 17 years ago. 
I was there during Y2K. I worked directly for Robert Stevens, the owner. This is all before Best Buy bought them. Um, and he was a marketing marvel. And I picked up a couple things. And I learned that telling a story is important. And telling a compelling story is important. Um, and adding a little drama is really helpful. Um, and so, and, and he engaged the media in ways that I thought were really fascinating. And social media didn't exist then, so that was a that you know that was really different in that way. That wasn't an option. But the the cars that he drove around, the, you know, the he had a he had those, um, oh gosh, I don't even remember. The, you know, he had he had these crazy old cars. It wasn't the bugs yet. He had a Morris Minor and these other fifties and sixties European vehicles that he drove around, and it was that was just like it had so much. He had style points, right? There were style points there. And he, and he was paying a fair amount of money for these vehicles that had, I mean, like, to keep those things maintained and running, but it, wa it, but it wasn't a Honda or a <coughs> minivan, and that mattered. And I learned that there. And, um, and I do think that image matters, the, you know, in, in that sort of a way. And my truck has, you know, that was a big investment when I bought that truck. It was a big risk, and it's, and it's given us so much fun neighborhood appeal, you know, like, and we drive by with the little rocking horse in the back, and kids are like, mom, mom, look at the horse, and you're like, that, I, I can't pay money for that, right, so, um, so it just, but it involves being thoughtful, um, and, and just thinking, thinking through the different avenues, and how does it, how does it come together, and how does it reflect you, um, it's been kind of fascinating to think back on different points in my life, now that I'm at this place, and remember that, you know what, 20 years ago, when I was just starting out and reading articles about people who were self-employed, whatever, and I was working my little corporate job or whatever, my vision of like someday I'm gonna be was like, and this is hilarious to me now, but kind of badass and like in a dusty pickup truck, <laughs> and it happened, right? I mean, like that was 20 years ago, and it and 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 now look, right? And so I, it's. it's Pick out those ideas and, and figure out, I mean, this is this is the hard work of figuring out if you're not already doing it or you don't know what it's gonna be, is that what is your essence? What are those things that you do when you're procrastinating because that's like your natural intent? And for me, thrifting to clear my head is one of them. Writing is one of them. Perfecting my messages is one of them. Um, when I was four or five, it's <coughs> my earliest memory of having something that I wanted to do when I grew up. I was sitting on the floor of my mother's sewing room with shag carpeting, no less, picking the pins out. And I remember thinking, gosh, when I grow up, maybe someone will pay me to do that. <laughs> right? How random is that? But you know what? I sell individual pins and needles now and paper clips. And it's, it's so, I mean, like, how crazy is that? And yet it's happened. And so, and just with that, it's, who are you at your, at, you know, at your most innate? And find that and embrace that and figure out how to channel that into this thing that you choose because it, it really matters. And from a branding perspective, that rusty truck is, is 20 years in the making, right? Um, the pins are almost a lifetime in the making and having those on my radar, you know? The pillowcase was a 20-year-ago idea. And they, you know, and, and collect ideas that you find and like keep a file of stuff that appeals to you, that you'd love to do someday, or what have you. Aggregate that by cheap magazines at Sabres, because the ideas, repeat, would, you know, so even if it's a year old or two years old or whatever, you're gonna see things in there that you love and that, that 
that, you know, and for a buck instead of five bucks per magazine or whatever, it's just one of my tactical tips to really get your creative juices going if you want to hone in on what it is that meets you at your essence, if that makes sense. How are we doing for time here? Oh my gosh, three minutes. Holy crap, we're still talking. I didn't even drink any water. Already covered this, but I was wondering, um, like the, the homemade purses and pillowcases and soaps and things like that that you have, mm -hmm. are those things that um, people come to you and want to sell, or do you seek them out, or do you make them, or it depends. Okay, so we've got about three dozen consigners, um, and the parameters I've set, and again, this is a nice way to allow people to realize that they're not a fit without us having to say no, is within 25 miles. And for us, it needs to involve reuse, deliberately involve reuse, otherwise it's not going to be in our shop because everything there is either second-hand or made locally using second-hand stuff. Um, sometimes we'll, you know, it's rare, every once in a while we'll post something saying, hey, we're looking. We keep an application on our website. Um, more often people come into the shop and we'll say, hey, we've got an application on our website, fill it out. Um, some of it we make. And all of the, the graphic stuff, the pillowcases and the, and the book, like the page prints, those are, I'm design. I'm choosing the messages, doing the graphic design, and this one I kind of like. Um, before you diagnose yourself with depression or low self-esteem, first make sure that you are not, in fact, just surrounded by assholes. Um, that's William Gibson. And, and can you relate to a day like that? Right? I mean, like, we've all had them. So I, I try to choose things that, that get to, like, like my sense of how the, wor how the world is, right? Um, and I've, over time, figured out how to manufacture. I've found suppliers that are willing to work on secondhand shirts. I, in our case now, we actually have a, have a heat press that takes partially cured screen printing designs, and we can do it on our own at the shop. Still working on how to get it all done, because there's so much, but that's a work in progress that we're building on. So anyway, I'll take one more question and then call it good. Um, do you feel like the market is open outside of like thrifting and consignment and um, these kind of markets? Do you feel like they're open to recycled materials? I know H&M just recently like had a campaign where they were like, oh, we're going to like recycle all of these materials. And I know in other countries that's a really heightened product. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. outside of like consignment and thrifted, kind of that like niche, do you feel like people are more like receptive to that now than they ever were? Or do you feel like there's room to kind of like open up that gauge? There's room. Now? Because I'm yep. creating a similar product, and I'm like really back and forth between like, do I use new materials or do I recycle? Mm -hmm. like ethically, how do I? Yep. So, so <coughs> reuse is the ch the challenge between reuse and new is is, is finding enough of something that's used right. to be able to produce in bulk, and that's exactly. that's where supply chain becomes a little bit of a challenge. I think that if you think about some of the bigger big box stores, there's a, a very heightened awareness of the need to be lower carbon and the impact that their production many methods are having. Yeah. Right now, I don't see a whole lot of volume in toward the big box stores, but I definitely see in the future there being needs. And kind of like smaller. Yep. Like you start up. somewhere, and it's and really it's about making it making it exciting and fun, right? right? And it's if you make this product. an appealing experience that people want to have instead of feeling like it's dirty, mm -hmm. you, you can really. I've spoken to a couple stores and a couple of them have said like, no, we wouldn't carry your product if they were recycled materials because yep. we don't feel comfortable with that. Yep. And, yep. and you'll, you'll run into that too. I think it's a, it's a yeah. culture shift thing that we it need is. to work on, sure. right? Yeah. Um, and, and as consumers demand more and understand more, that demand will increase. Um, 
A brief yeah. note about H&M, I think H&M um, and some of the other ones, I think anyone who is saying, yay, yay, we're so great, we're recycling, bring it in and buy more of our stuff, it's, is not helping. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's not helping. Um, but to the extent that we can create and maintain momentum and increase demand and help people understand the environmental impact of that, and that's, again, why we're doing our karma study, I think that there's, there's a lot of room for growth, and if we compete with Target, compete with some of the mass manufacturers and provide better products at good prices with you know that customers can get with ease there's a ton of room there's just a mm -hmm. ton of room but it's not it's not like you can go out and open the store today and be like done you it's have to make your way make your way lead the change figure out some of the details yep yeah so yeah so three quick things yes the one as a reminder the store is going to stay open yep. after this session is over so if you want to come and browse it don't get yep feel free I'll be, and then yeah. two, did you want to give a couple of door prizes away? Yeah, because I did. I've got, I've got two door prizes, and I was thinking that the person who came the farthest outside of, of the, the state and then the person who came the farthest within the state, because I've heard a couple things that are kind of crazy. So who came from outside the state? Is it just, it might, it might just be. You came from, where'd you come from? Somerset, Wisconsin. From Somerset, Okay. Pat, you're not raising your hand. Yeah, she's from Chicago. You know what? I'm a, I'm gonna go with Somerset, and I'll I'll hook you up later. So so I've got I've got your choice of the pillowcases that I held up, and then um, who came the farthest within Minnesota? Do we have anyone from like from St. Cloud? From St. Cloud? Yeah. Anyone further than St. Cloud? Okay, awesome. Perfect. I'm going to give you guys each yeah. one of these and you can swap them at the shop if you'd like. I also so. want to circulate and collect the burning questions that you hopefully had an opportunity to jot down, so I just don't want those to get lost in the mix. And then, Julie, do you want to do, should Pat do a drawing for, did everybody get there? I'll do that after the fact. Do yep, I'll okay. do that after the fact and feel free to, if you didn't have a chance to sign in, feel free to, to you know, both for the, for the um, contest and just so that we know you were here. Um, Thank you so much for making the time. Would you like to have more conversations? Would that be of interest? Yes? Okay. So I will, so one, if you don't mind, if you haven't already, include your email address and give us permission to reach out because I am permission based and I won't involve you if I haven't, if you haven't said yes, please involve me. Um, and then the other thing is, is I'm gonna, I'll post some updates within the Facebook event. So if you didn't get here via Facebook, find the Facebook event and maybe drop a breadcrumb or something so that, that you know where to look there. So um, this obviously is way bigger than I thought that it was in terms of demand, and, and I would love to be able to, to help in other ways. So thank you, guys. That, you know what, that's, um, that's a great question. You're listening to The Great Question on Work on Frogtown Radio. WFNU 94.1 FM, empowering communities one great question at a time. To hear more of The Great Question on Work, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Visit us at greatquestionshow.com. There you can ask us great questions on work and connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. And you can ask your great question on the Great Question line. What number is that, Katie? That's a great question. You can find it on our website, greatquestionshow.com.